Well, as I said, we want to thank you for coming, and again, for those who are visitors, we bid you warmly welcome. We are delighted to have our sister, uh, Mrs. Omerod, with us. Uh, she's no stranger. Her uh, late husband was a beloved colleague and friend of mine. He was also the convener of our Government and Morals Committee. In fact, he was around when this work was started uh, 40 years ago last year and was involved in the Martyr's Male Witness. And there's still a CD, actually, of his out there. You may have seen it when you come in. We're delighted to have you, Julie. Please come uh, and tell us how you knew love the Lord. Thank you. Well, it's lovely to be here tonight and to share a word of testimony with you, not only to the saving, but to the keeping power of my Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And as I was coming up the road here, I first of all saw your new building, which is absolutely beautiful. But I remember years ago when I was going with my husband, believe it or not, we used to come up here on a Sunday evening. And for many years we came up and then in turn, and um, my husband then went into the work and God led us and called us down to the work in Clock Mills, where I still am tonight. And um, believe it or not, and that's 34 years I'm down there and um, longer down there than I've ever been anywhere in my life um, for it. But the Lord has been gracious to us. If you've got the word of God there, could you please turn to Romans chapter 10. The book of Romans, and while you're turning up, I would like to thank the people here in Carried Off for their prayers. I really, my family and I, during the time of my husband's sudden home call, we knew God's people were praying for us. And it was the Lord's people that actually enabled us and carried us through with their prayers um, for it. Because, as all of you know, it was a very sudden, and even as I tell it in my testimony, but you know, God is gracious and God is good for it. So if it, the word of God there in Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a seal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. 
For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And again in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, and we'll read a couple of verses there. The book of Isaiah chapter 43. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord, thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Saviour. I give Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee. And we know that the Lord will bless those readings to our hearts. Amen. Can we just unite in a word of prayer, please? Amen. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before thee. And we come, Lord, before thee tonight in great need. We realize, O oh Father, that in and of ourselves we can do nothing. We need the Lord. And we need your help tonight, Lord, and we ask that thou would give utterance, that, Lord, whatever is said and done will be to the glory of my Saviour. We thank thee afresh for Calvary. We praise you, Lord, that it was there at Calvary the precious blood of the Lamb flowed, and it's, it's that blood that cleanses a soul from all sin. We pray that tonight, even now, thou would close us in with thyself. Lord, encircle this building, we ask. Keep the devil outside the door. And Father, we ask that tonight you would move from heart to heart, from seat to seat. Leave not one of us, Lord, untouched but rather draw near and meet us at the very point of our need. And dear Father, we pray that thou would enable now that highway and enable us to exalt thee, mm. to uplift thee, Lord, high above all, that all honour will be brought to your holy name. Mm. For this we ask in our Saviour's beloved name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was brought up in a family of six children. There were four girls and two boys. And I come forth in that line of the six children. My father was saved shortly after I was born. Prior to that, my father lived a life of debauchery. But when God stepped in and saved my father, my father became a new creature in Christ. Amen. Shortly after that, my mother was saved as well. So from my earliest recollection, I remember just being brought up in a Christian home. <coughs> we were sent along to Sunday school. We were sent along to the children's meetings. And when we came of age, we went to the morning service and to the evening service. Now, my father, when he got saved, 
joined the brethren. Prior to that, he was Presbyterian. My mother was Church of Ireland. But when salvation came to our home, my father affiliated himself with the local gospel hall. And from my earliest recollection, that is where I remember attending. What my father also, when he got saved, established within our home a family altar. And what I mean by that, that every night my father gathered the children around him. And there the word of God was read to us. And there was that time of prayer as well. And you know, I would encourage every family to set up, if they haven't already, a family altar with their children. It is so important to read God's word with your children. And not only to read it, but for them to ask questions and for to pray with your children as well. This is what it was like in our home. And in turn, I always had this weird notion. Now, I was taught that I needed to be saved from an early age. But I myself had a weird notion. Because my parents were saved, I would be all right. I would get to heaven. God's a God of love. He'll not put me out. But you know, God had his own way of teaching me that this is not so. God had his own way in teaching me that every one of us, when we come of age, will give an account to God ourselves for off ourselves. We will not give an account for our sister, our brother, our friend, or anything. But God will demand an account of us for the way that we have lived. And if you go out a Christ rejecter, God will demand an account why you rejected his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember in turn, one night, Sunday night, after coming in from church, we had supper, we had prayer time, our family worship, and then we were put to bed. During that night, a great storm arose, and I remember sometime in the middle of the night, this massive roar of thunder, and I bounced up in bed, and as I sat in my bed, the first thing that flashed through my mind was God has come back. I had learned that one day the Lord will return. And because of the massive crackle in the sky, I and my childhood thoughts had believed that maybe the, or had believed that the Lord had come back. And you know, I got out of bed and I was absolutely quaking. Because the place that I wanted to go to was to my parents' bedroom. And as I made my way down that landing, I was listening for my father snoring. But God had it that night, there wasn't a whimper came from that bedroom. Normally you could hear my father all over the house. But that night there was complete silence. And as I opened that bedroom door of my parents, I was quaking. And I still remember to this very night. And I made my way across to the bedroom, or to my parents' bed. And there, to my relief, my parents were lying there. Do you know, I, my parents didn't know I was there. I never, and they never did. And I remember in turn, getting, going back to bed and making myself a promise. 
And I said in turn, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to get saved. But you know, on entering school the next morning, I soon forgot about the promise that I had made during the night. Because the school that I attended was an all-girls school. And the girls that I ran about with, there were five of us. They had no time for the things of God. And I soon forgot about the promise that I'd made myself during the night. I travelled through life the next number of months. And it wasn't until the following March that a special preacher came to the little gospel hall that I attended by the name of Uncle Dan. And I remember attending that children's meeting Monday to Friday and the open Sunday school every Sunday afternoon for two weeks. And it wasn't until the final Sunday of that campaign that I realised that I don't go out that door unless I make my peace with the Lord. And Uncle Dan, when I'd expressed my desire, he took me to a little corner of that gospel hall and he opened the word of God with me. And he opened that well-known verse in John chapter 3 in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But you know, I couldn't see it. And he said, Julie, put your name in the whosoever. But I still couldn't see it. He took me to the verse that I've read there in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But I couldn't see it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I still couldn't see it. And then he took me back to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. And he says, Julie, look at that verse. That verse says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, do you confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? And I said, I did. Do you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead? And I said, I did. He says, that verse says, you're saved. And you know, there and then, I didn't see anything miraculous. I didn't hear any sign. But there and then I believed that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me. Amen. And he rose again. And there and then it's by faith. It's not by miraculous workings. It's believing God at his word. Taking him at his word. And you know there and then I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> The Lord washed my sins away. And you know, after he prayed with me, I went out to my father who was waiting in the car. And my father was absolutely delighted because another one of us brought into the family of God. Again, my mother was delighted when we got home. 
But you know, sad to say, and I say this even for the young ones, and I say this to my shame tonight, as I enter school the next morning, I didn't have the courage to tell those five girls that I had what I had done on the Sunday afternoon. Yes, I was reading my Bible, I was going to the gospel meetings, and in turn, but I wasn't telling <coughs> that I was saved to those unsaved girls. And I travelled through life the next five years, and not one of them knew. I never told them. And because I wasn't fulfilling and witnessing for the Lord, I soon went cold. I soon went cold. The people in the gospel hall that I attended thought I was going on well. You see, you can fool people, but you can't fool the Lord. And then turn, because I wasn't going through fully with the Lord Jesus, I wasn't seeking his will in my life. I then put all my energies into sport. And every minute I had, I was out in the track because I was in the sprinting and hurdles. And I was out there every spur moment I had training. And this is what my ambition was in life, to be a full-time into the sports arena. And you know, I kept, wasn't to before my 17th birthday that God entered into my life again. I can't remember what the gospel preacher spoke on that night in that gospel hall, <coughs> but I do know this, that night I rededicated my life back to God. I didn't get saved again because I was saved when I was 12 years of age. Yes. But in turn, I rededicated. I asked the Lord to forgive me for my coldness, for my apathy. And I asked the Lord to help me to live for him and not be ashamed. And I thank God from that day to now. I have never looked back. In turn, when I came back to the Lord, the Lord took the desire of the sports field from my heart. And as I was praying for God's will in my life, he led me into the field of nursing. And I entered my nursing career in the Belfast City Hospital. And as I entered my nursing career there, in turn, leaving home in them days you had to live in. And I remember I was quite a homebird. <coughs> And it was a big challenge for me to leave my home. And I wasn't long back in with the Lord. I was 17 and a half at the time. And I wasn't long back with the Lord, going through with him. But you know, God had already prepared the path for me. Because in that hospital, there was a fundamentalist nurses fellowship set up that Dr. Paisley and Willie Whitelaw was in power then. Had got, because prior to that, it was an ecumenical fellowship. And Marie Ennis, and maybe some of you know Marie Ennis here tonight, but Marie Ennis was the lady that headed that work up. 
and I affiliated myself to it. And in that nurse's fellowship, in turn, there was myself, a brethren, I was only brethren. There was free Presbyterians, there was Presbyterians, and there was Baptists. But there was blessed fellowship. And as I went through my nursing career, I kept with those girls. There were people like, in turn, uh, Margaret Russell, Joan Edgar, who's Joan Greer, Linda Harris, the Reverend Harris's wife, Yvonne Priestley, and right down there was a big host of us, and many of us went in to either being ministers' wives, believe it or not, or in turn doing a work for the Lord. Amen. But they were the years that God kept me, and God made no mistakes. During my training, there was a girl that in turn was a free Presbyterian, and she used to say to me, oh, there's a great Bible study down at Willie Mullins in Lurgan. Do you want to come? Uh, and I said to her, well, some night that of an early, yes, I'll come on it. Now, my dad loved Willie Mullins. We would have had his tapes in our home. So one night at an early, one Tuesday night, early, down we all went. After that prayer meeting and Bible study, there was a debate broke out outside the church. And it was a discussion on the word of God. Now, my uh, husband, he didn't, I didn't know him in them days, but apparently as this debate broke out, I sided with his view uh, for it. And in turn, whenever that, about three weeks after that, I was out in the garage with my brother, and my brother loved to dismantle motorbikes and put them up, and I was out handing him the tools. And my father came out and said there was a telephone call. And who was it? Lo and behold, it was my Robert. And in turn, when I answered the phone, he said to me, this is Robert, and I says, Robert who? So his balloon was deflated, if anybody knew my husband. And his balloon was deflated because I didn't remember him at all. But anyway, we went, uh, he asked me out, and our first date, believe it or not, was to the Martyr's Memorial. And I remember that night as we went to the Martyr's Memorial on a Sunday night, in turn, Dr. Paisley preached that night, and he preached and he hammered the brethren. From I went in, I came out. <laughs> and I remember saying to Robert, that's it, I won't be back on it. For he hammered the brethren that whole time and in turn. But anyway, as you can see, I did go back <laughs> on it and forth. And in turn, Robert and I then uh, went together. But we went together for a period of time because my father wasn't keen on a free Presbyterian. My father believed that I should marry within the brethren and stay within the brethren. So it was a bit of a rocky road in the early days, but God overcame it all. And in turn, Robert and I married for it. When we married, my husband always had a desire to serve God because he loved to preach. He was in the Martyrs Memorial Male Witness. They were up here many a time taking the meetings and Robert loved to be up and doing for the Lord. Robert was saved. He, went, he lived in the Shankle. He headed up a gang in the Shankle. But when God saved him, God delivered him. And in turn, from the day he was saved, he had a burden and a desire to serve God. He truly was a new man in Christ. 
And in turn, Robert then entered because he didn't have a lot of education. He had to go back into study. He went back and he got the requirements needed to go into the theological hall. And then God took him through his training. And after his training, then we moved down country to Clock Mills. God blessed us with five children, three girls and two boys. And in turn, our years were spent there. The years were hard. The work was hard. But God never failed us at all. And we had a blessed time, God building the work, God moving in it, and in turn laboring there. On the Christmas, Christmas Eve 2011, my dear mother hadn't been very well. And in turn, I had said to my husband, I would go up to see how my dear mother was. I wasn't sure how long I was going to be staying. But I arrived up anyway, and my mum, in turn, wasn't great. The, we were waiting <coughs> on the Saturday morning, on the Christmas Eve, for the nurses to come. And while we were waiting, my mother, in turn, arrested. We resuscitated my mother, and in the goodness of God, my mother came round. My mother was blue-lighted in to the Ulster Hospital. Her condition deteriorated and my mother died on the 3rd of January 2012. But God was good to us as a family, my six siblings, because God gave us time. We sat <coughs> round the bed in the Ulster Hospital 24-7. My siblings did the daytime, I mainly did the nights because none of them could hack the nights for it and in turn. On the eve of my mother's funeral, my dear father took a major stroke and he was blue-lighted in to the Ulster Hospital as well. My father died on the 11th of January. We were one week putting my dear mother's body in the grave and we as a family were back the following week burying my mother's remains. But you know, God was good because my parents were ready to go home Amen. to be with the Lord. They're at home in glory, rejoicing around the throne of grace. In January 2013, <coughs> my husband celebrated 30 years in the church at Clock Mills. We had a great night. The weather was really bad. The M2 was closed off because some of my siblings couldn't get down to it. But for us and all who could travel, we had a blessed time. His brother had not been well, my husband's brother. He lived in England. And my brother, or my husband, was going over to see the brother and the three sisters wanted to go with him, his three sisters. I'd said to Robert, this was in May, the 20th, he left these shores and travelled on the night ferry because I'd said to him, you'd be better going on the night ferry than travelling up through Scotland and then into England. He left here on the 20th of May and travelled over to Liverpool. He then travelled from Liverpool the next morning with the three sisters up to our sons in Birmingham.
they got off at Johnny's for a while and then when they were with Jonathan and Jessica in turn they were getting Jonathan wasn't there but Jessica and the children were there the little ones were a year and three at that time our little grandsons and in turn Robert was down in the floor playing with them they were on his back like a horse and he was in great form because that morning I remember as he was the boat was docking and I had texted him I said to him well how did your night go and he says Julie how do you think with three sisters they never shut their mouths all night he says it just chittered the whole night on it but in turn I said to him well traveling mercies and I'll speak to you soon he got to our sons and he left there and when he left there, he made his way on the M6 down to where his brothers were. He was singing on that M6. He was on the outside lane. And he was singing, How Great Thou Art. When he fell over the wheel. Now the car was travelling and he was in the outside lane. And I didn't realise to the next day what a miracle God done. When his body fell over that wheel, his sisters thought he was carrying on, but he was gone. He didn't take a heart attack. The coroner told us his heart just stopped. That's why the sisters thought he was carrying on. He didn't grab his chest. He didn't have peace. He just was gone. But God in his mercy, the angels of the Lord carried that car across the M6. And God cleared the M6 to bring that car across and down the only ditch for 30 miles. If my husband had have missed that ditch, it would have been a carnage. There would have been many people involved. Many lives could have been taken. But God spared us all that grief. Because maybe some of those lives, they wouldn't have been ready to meet the Lord. And that would have been on your conscience as well. Unknown to us, back home in Ulster, that Tuesday morning. I had got up like any other Tuesday morning and I went to work. I had a report to finish and I finished the report. I then went for the Sunday school prizes and then I went to collect our other little grandson, Timothy's little son, from nursery. We came back to the manse and we, after lunch, him and I were outside playing when his mum came to collect him. And you see, all of the time that I'll tell you, God made no mistakes and nothing. Everything was planned. I said to Alex, I said, Alex, will you take a bite of lunch? Sometimes she took it, sometimes she didn't. And she said, yes, she would take lunch. I prepared her lunch and she was just sitting down when the first telephone call came. And it was Anise and she said to me, Auntie Julie, there's been an accident in Birmingham. We don't know where Robert is. 
are, we don't know where Uncle Robert is, but we know where the sisters are. Phone these, this number. Now this number was the brother-in-law of one of the sisters. Normally when we contacted them, we would have used the mobiles. So I didn't know that she could identify with the number. But before I rang that number, I rang my son in Birmingham. And I said, Jonathan, I says, I've just got a call. Dad's been in an accident. Do you know anything about it? And he says, no, Mom. I haven't heard anything, he says, but I'll try and find out. So I left the mobile on the window and I dialed the number that I was given. And it was John. And John said to me, I said, hello, I've been given this number concerning Robert Omerod. And he says, yes, Julie, it's John here. He says, yes. Uh, he says, we know where the sisters are, but nobody knows where Robert is. He says, ring these numbers. And he gave me another three numbers to ring. Now, again, these were hospital numbers, which he, I didn't know. Again, the police had put all a clamp down on any information given on the name Robert Omerod. So as I rang these numbers, the same message came back. No, we have no information on that name. We don't know that name. I hadn't heard from our son in that time, so then I went back to John. And I said, John, I says, in turn, nobody knows anything about Robert in those numbers. He says, ring these numbers, and he gave me another two. And again, I rang these numbers. I just rang the first number. And between the first number and the second number, because the same message I was getting, the phone rang. As I lifted the phone, it was another niece, Auntie Julie. Uncle Robert's dead. I remember dropping the phone and Alex picked it up. And when she came off, I says, Alex, get the children home. Get the children all home. <coughs> God made no mistakes, as I said, where our children were placed that day. Our oldest daughter, Naomi, lived in London with her family. And when she got the information, she was relaying coming home to Ulster. Jonathan was over there in Birmingham in Crown College and he in turn was negotiating with the police because the laws are different than over here. Our son Timothy, who worked in an engineering company, was normally always over the border working. But that day, God had him working in Balamone, down the road. Our twin daughters, Hannah, was on her final management placement in the Royal. And our other daughter, Danielle, who was a Queen's, was working in Logan's in the restaurant that day. When Danielle came up and I said, Danielle, we need to, I need to go to England. I need to go to England. She says, Mom, I'm coming with you. We needed Timothy at home because he was the only one there that could deal with what was coming at home. And Hannah was making her way down. Her boyfriend Malcolm, who's now her husband, was going to bring her down to it. God was good to us even that night. We were able to get a flight out. And in that flight out, we were at the very front of the plane. I've never been at the front of the plane in my life, but I was that night. 
And it meant you didn't have to talk to nobody because you couldn't have talked to nobody. And on the way back, we were at the very back of the plane and again, easy access off. When we got over to Birmingham, we were met by Pastor Sinker and Jessica, our son's wife, and they took us to the farmhouse and I said, where's Jonathan? Jonathan was worked with the police at that time and they said he'll be back. They didn't know when. I remember sitting with my coat on in that room and I sat there at a half ten that night to our son Keith. And Jonathan says, Mom, you can't go anywhere. He says, because the police won't let us see Dad to tomorrow at three. Meanwhile, anyway, we, he says, Mom, you need to go and get rest. We went to the bedroom, we lay on the top of the bed and we saw the night out and we saw the morning in. And I said to Jonathan, I says, Jonathan, where can I walk? I need to walk. I need to talk to the Lord. I just felt that I needed out to get alone with the Lord myself. And I started to walk over there and where they were situated. And I walked for miles, and then I came back. And when I came back, I said to Jonathan, I says, I need to go to the police, or to go to the hospital to see the sisters. And he says, Mom, right. I says, on our way down, do we pass where Dad went down? He says, we do. I says, I want to stop. I want to stop. We travel down that M6, and when we travelled down that M6 and we pulled up to the ditch where my husband went down, the traffic was horrendous. There wasn't one break in that traffic. The truckers were flying down. The cars were constant the whole length of time we stood at that scene. And you know, in turn, as I stood there and as I saw still some of the wreckage and you saw the imprint of the tar marks on the road and they were still there a year later, you can imagine the imprint that it made on the road. But I remember standing there as that traffic was flying down and I lifted my eyes to the heavens and I said, Lord, you did a miracle here. You did a miracle to clear the M6. Even the police couldn't believe it. To clear that part of the road and to bring Robert's car across and down the only ditch for 30 miles and his three sisters to get out of that alive and to be able to be discharged home the next morning. Yes, psychologically, they had a lot to come to terms with. But physically, God's hand was on them. Do you see, it was Robert's appointed time to go home. And Robert's only, thank God, it wasn't anyone else involved. Robert's time on this earth had come to an end. He had run his course. He had finished. And he's now at home with his Lord. If that had been you tonight, or if that is going to be you, 
No man knoweth what a day brings forth. Not one of us know what a day brings forth. But if that ha would be you, <coughs> are you ready to go home to be with your Lord? Are you ready? Not ready yet. For death for Robert came like that. Now I know that doesn't happen all the time. Because I work with cancer patients. And I see people that linger and linger and linger. But if the voice of God is speaking to you tonight. And if God's voice is telling you that you need to get saved. Don't reject it. Because maybe this will be the last time the Lord will ever speak to you. If Robert had not have been saved, he wouldn't have known anything about it. What happened to him? It came so suddenly. And he would be languishing tonight in hell. But I thank God, I know where he is. He's at home with his Savior. He's seen the Lord face to face. He's now told that story saved by grace. And tonight for Robert, it is well, it is well with his soul. What about your soul tonight? The minute you let your die, Robert and that M6, the soul had left the minute the breath left. Where's your soul heading tonight? Mm. You answer that to the Almighty One because there's no in between. There's heaven to gain or there's a hell to shun. And you know, in turn, during the time that we waited for Robert's body to come home, God was good to us as a family. God carried us that time on the wings of prayer. And I remember after the funeral, I went to England to our daughter. And I came back after a few days. We came in on a Saturday afternoon and Hannah and Earth her boyfriend, Malcolm, at that time picked us up and we came home. <coughs> and she says, Mom, she says, we're going down to the port. Do you want to come down to Port Stewart? And I said, no. I said, you just go on ahead. I just want to be here. As I left, I left too, and I started to walk the roads. And we live in the country. And I walked and I walked. And it was one of the saddest moments and the times that I have experienced ever. And I walked, as I walked along, I was talking to the Lord, and that's the joy of the country, you can talk away. And I was in turn saying to the Lord, why do I feel like this? Why do I feel like this? And you know, as I must have walked about somewhere between maybe four or five miles plus, but a quarter of a mile from our home, 
The rain went off. It was pelting with rain. And I mean it was pelting the whole time I was walking. But it went off about a quarter of a mile from the home. And you know, in turn, as I took the umbrella down and as I looked up, there in front of me was a massive big rainbow. But not one, but two. And I let out a laugh. And I said, Lord, you're telling me not once but twice that you're never going to leave me. Now I know the rainbow means that God will never flood the earth again. But for me it meant that God was showing me a sign that he would never leave me, that he would never forsake me, and that he would be with me right through. Amen. And you know I praise God I've never felt like that since. And every time I see a rainbow I smile brightly. Because I say, Lord, yes, you're there, and you're always with me. And after Robert died, the Lord gave me a verse in Psalm 48, in verse 14. This God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide <coughs> unto death. And you know, he's been my guide. He's never failed me right to this very moment. You know, one of those hymns that day that I was really feeling sad, the hymn that kept going through my head was, it's in our hymn books, 426, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the day grows weary and long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is this aught does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Saviour cares. And you know he does. He never fails. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Amen. And praise God, he said, I will never leave thee, and I will never forsake you, and he never will. Now I read a couple of verses there in Isaiah, when thou passes through the waters, through the rivers, you'll not be overcome with them, and you'll not be touched by the fire either. Do you know everyone in this meeting tonight, every one of us have valleys to go through, Maybe death, maybe financial worries, maybe sickness, maybe family matters, family problems. But everyone has the rivers to go through. Because it says, when thou passest, it doesn't say, if thou pass, but when. But you know the joy is it? The Lord goes with you. He goes right with you. And he says you'll not be overcome with those waters. You'll not be burned with that fire. Because I'm upholding you. I'm strengthening you. I'm helping you. Oh dear friend, if you don't know my Saviour, you don't know what you're missing. 
To have Christ in your heart is to have everything. The Lord becomes sweeter day by day, and he never, ever fails. Yes, we feel him, but he never fails us. Oh, that if you're not saved, that you will flee to the loving arms of God. Because there's a thing we always said in nursing, you can put your own socks on in the morning, but you don't know who's going to take them off at night. And that is so true, because not one of us know what a day brings forth. You can plan and you can purpose but you don't know whether it'll ever come to fruition. Because none of us know. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Just in closing, I just want to read a little poem with you. A little poem that was given many, many years ago to us. And you maybe know it tonight, many, many of you. It's called the record book. If all the things you ever said were written in a book and all your thoughts were on display so all could take a look, I guess there is not a living soul who wouldn't hang his head and feel ashamed before the Lord and wish that he were dead. There is a record book, I'm told, with every deed and word, it even keeps a record off our thoughts that can't be heard. The good, the bad, and every sin, for nothing has been missed. It really makes me feel ashamed to think what's on my list. And yet the pages of the past shall never bother me, for Jesus nailed them to his cross one day at Calvary, and now I stand in him complete, redeemed from sin and strife, for with his blood he wrote my name down in the book of life. Amen. Is your name there tonight? Is your name in God's book? When God comes back, and none of us know that day or that hour, but if your name's not in the book, the Lord will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then you'll be cast into utter darkness, gnashing and wailing of teeth. You see, the world would tell us God's a God of love. God will not damn you to hell. The Lord Jesus Christ told us about hell. And hell is real. There's only two places, heaven or hell. Where are you heading tonight? May God speak to you if you're not ready, that you will get ready, ere it be too late. Amen. Just in your behalf, thank our sister Julie for this very sterling, yet very sublime word of personal testimony.
and her experiences with the hand of death on dear family members.